My name is John Mays. I'm your host. I'm also the regional director for the states of West Virginia and Pennsylvania, along with being the chapter director at Marshall University. So last week, I shared with you evidence for the reliability of the Old Testament, and I did so by attempting to read <laughs> uh, a paper that I'd written for school concerning the Dead Sea Scrolls and how we can know that the Old Testament is reliable. Well, typically with a podcast, I go back and edit out dead time or silence, whatever you want to call it, dead air time, something like that. Anyway, the point being, uh, one of my friends texted me and he asked me if I'd had a stroke, and <laughs> I was like, I don't guess, why do you ask? And he mentioned the podcast, and I had listened to it, but I went back and listened to it again and I kind of understood where he was coming from. It seems like I really struggled with reading my own uh, paper. <laughs> and I apologize for that. I try real hard to give you the best podcast. I don't know that it's the best by any stretch. It's not real fancy. But I give you who I am and what I can do to help you, the follower of Christ or the non-follower who happens to listen. So I'm not going to read <laughs> paper today. I'm going to actually give you information on a topic that I have talked about numerous times and I finally have the opportunity to share with you and that would be the King James only uh, folks. King James onlyism. There's a lot of people in the church today that believe that the King James is the perfect translation. Some of them go as far as to believe that Paul and probably use the King James. I don't know. That may be a stretch. So while attending the conference, yes, I did have the opportunity to go to Charlotte a couple of weeks ago and attend the apologetics conference along with 1,800 of my closest friends. Okay, not that many. That was the announced attendance. But I met a guy named Thomas McCuddy, and actually I had met him a couple of weeks prior because he's friends with Another friend, a friend of a friend of a friend, you get the point. I actually went to Tom's presentation, and guess what it was on? That's right, King James only. And I felt that it was a very good presentation, short, sweet, to the point, very understandable, very clear, and he gave us the opportunity to ask uh, for a copy of it, or he told us he would share copies of his presentation. What I'm trying to get at is that I'm sharing Mr. Thomas McCuddy's presentation, and preferably this will go well, and you will understand why the King James only is not the only Bible out there. In fact, all Bibles say the same thing. I've, I've completed and recorded and shared podcasts, blogs about that. If they didn't say the same thing, then that wouldn't be the Bible. Um uh, so 
let me move on. <laughs> let me just get to the point here and get through this. Oh, Tom titled this from Papri to uh, the iPad. And I don't know that I said that correctly, but it was the type paper used to write things down in the first century. And I should probably also tell you that Tom is part of the Norm Geisler Institute. Uh, there's such a thing called the Norm Geisler Ministries, and Tom is part of Norm Geisler Institute. So, very solid, very reputable. I, I don't share nonsense, or I try not to. Speaking of nonsense, I can't stand it. I have to give this to you before I go on. And I promise you, I'm going to share why King James only is not a, I mean, I don't care what you read, which translation, but I'm going to give you why it's not the only book we should be reading. Um, if you paid attention in the Christian world lately, Dr. John MacArthur told Beth Moore to go home in a very casual setting. Todd Friel asked him, him being John MacArthur, to give him one word based on whatever Friel said. So Todd said, Beth Moore, John MacArthur laughing said, I think I'm being set up here. And he went on to say, Beth Moore. Point being, uh, I don't know what the problem is. We talk about essentials. So the problem that everybody seems to be having and arguing about is the way Dr. MacArthur said, go home with Beth Moore. I don't know if I even shared that correctly, but you'll get the gist of it. Uh, a lot of people were upset, to say the least, that he used such language as go home. And I don't understand. I'm not going there as far as women teachers. Uh, I don't find that to be essential. And it's not an essential. If you believe that women should teach, then go to a church that does that. If you believe they shouldn't, then don't go there. <laughs> Uh, the problem I have with Beth Moore is her direct revelation from God, so she claims, uh, the company she keeps, and her being a false teacher, a lot more than her teaching period, that she's a woman doing so. So I think the problem is Beth's theology. You can find out more about that on a website called carm.org, C-A-R-M, and uh, he gives you pretty much an in-depth overview of the false teaching of Miss Moore. So, with that being said, on to today's show, the King James Only Bible, King James Only People. The motivation for this is you hear a lot of people say that modern translations have changed the Bible and that some Bibles leave verses out. And I believe in Jesus as presented in the King James Bible. So... <laughs> If you haven't heard that, you're not, you haven't been talking to anybody. I say this all the time. Uh, I don't think most people that go to church are sharing the gospel or anything else, but they would definitely know how to fight. Uh, and this is one of the fights that they choose to take up sometimes. The goal of this presentation, as Tom has set it up, is to understand the translation in general, understand why we translate the Bible, and examine the manuscripts behind King James version versus modern translations and if you didn't know that all bibles are translated oh my goodness then this isn't going to help you much anyway uh, <laughs> so 
Moving on, words, understanding translations. There's a lot of words that can't be translated from Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew into the English language. And let's just use an example, uh, the Greek word for trunk. What do you think of when one of us or you're talking and someone says trunk? It obviously depends on what the conversation that you're having, the context of the conversation you're having, just like I've asked you not to take one verse or scripture out of the Bible, whether it's the King James or otherwise, and try to use it because it has to be taken in context. But here's a short, sweet, to the point example of words, trunk being one, elephant trunk, swimming trunk, car trunk, tree trunk. Okay, so like I said, what? is the situation. Well, the trouble with words is every translator must make a decision about what a word means in the original and what word in the receptor language accurately represents that word in context. So let me break that down into my words. Every Bible is translated. There are typically a group of people that do these translations. The original language, being Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, is translated to the best of their ability to English, the receptor language. Oftentimes, there's not a word in English that will translate exactly, so they choose the meaning that best fits the context. Hmm. All right, then. So word studies attempt to achieve this kind of accuracy and overcome the division between languages. Second, sentences. Translation and interpretation. Every translator, again, must interpret each sentence in the original language to understand the meaning in the original language to understand the meaning in the receptor language, being English, to communicate that meaning in the English language in a way that the reader will correctly receive the meaning. A translation is not the original. We don't have any of the original writings from the Bible or any historical writing for that matter. We have copies that we refer to as manuscripts. The original is the original. A translation of any Bible is not the original. The Bible was not given in English. Any, and let me repeat that, any English version is only as inspired as it reflects the meaning of the original text. And a lot of times if you look at churches' belief statements or whatever, they will state that they believe the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God as it was written in the original autographs. And those are just fancy words to say we believe it's without error. We believe that it is inspired when it was originally written. Since then, it's been translated. Which translation is the best? And why do we translate the Bible? I've been asked this many times. And the translation doesn't matter. It depends on what you're using it for. Are you going to use it to preach out of, study out of, just read casually? There's all kinds of options, but the translation really doesn't matter because, like I said, <laughs> they all same say the same thing. 
Actually, they none say anything. But you understand what I'm saying. If translations were cars, what's the best car? What are you using it for? And this is an example of the type Bible that you choose to read. If you like reading in Old English, then, you know, the King James is for you. I'm going to tell you why there's better translations. But here Tom gives us an example of the context that would maybe help you decide which translation you should be using. And he uses a car as an example. What is the best car? Well, obviously you're going to ask. It depends. What are you using it for? Are you going, <laughs> are you going to take it and use it off-road? Are you hauling stuff? Is it a family car, a sports car? Okay, who's going to be using it? Do they? Can they drive an automatic? Can they drive a manual? Is it compact? How much can you afford? And I did the same thing. I sold cars once upon a time. I've done a lot of different things if you haven't figured it out. But you can't go buy a Lexus when your budget dictates a Ford. So, and how long do you need the car to last? Something we need to consider. Same thing with biblical translations. So I'm going to give you the two approaches that people, scholars, tra- how they translate the Bible. There's two characteristics, a formal approach and a functional approach. A formal formal approach attempts to maintain structure of the original language, less sensitive to the English language, which may result in an awkward translation. So that's your formal approach. The functional approach is a thought-for-thought approach which focuses on today's language. It's less sensitive to the source language, which may result in a distorted meaning since form helps communicate meaning. And some of the example, a more formal approach to the Bible or some of the more formal translations, one of them happens to be the King James. But it's also, there's also the NASB, the New King James, the ESV, the HS, I'm sorry, HCSB. There's a lot of translations out there. Now, the more that use the formal approach. Now, as you move closer to the functional approach, it's a thought-by-thought approach, then you start getting to the NIV, the NLT, the message. I mean, some people despise the message translation, but the message is very simplistic to read. It's in everyday language, and it's from the functional approach, a thought-for-thought approach. So... There's the two approaches that are used uh, for translation, but here's some King James. I don't even. I'm not even going to try that. A R C H A I S M S. Whatever that may be, and however you may say it, but what it is are examples from the King James um, verses, like Second Corinthians eight one. We do you to wit of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Quit you like men. James 1.21 The superfluity of naughtiness. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 He who not letteth will not let. You see where we're going here? This is the difference in the formal approach and the functional approach. And these are some examples of verses 
that make no sense whatsoever in the King James strictly because of translating the language into English. And <laughs> here's the controversy. Oh, um, some saith, <laughs> and that, you know, I ask people, how far art thou sometimes? And they just kind of look at me. I'm practicing my King James, I guess. Um, the KJV is the most beautiful, most accurate, longest lasting, saved more people, the only real Bible, and simple enough for a child to understand. That there's <laughs> some more examples of why some people say that the King James saith. So, how was the Bible transmitted? Well, the transmission process goes from what it was written on, the papyri, and you have, which we don't have the originals, but it's translated from the manuscripts, which is very important, and you're going to see this in a minute, why it's so important. The first Greek critical text, and here's your definition. The critical text is an electic text compiled by a committee, those are the translators, that examines a large number of manuscripts in order to determine which reading is most likely to be closest to the original. And the King James is not. This is called critical text, textual transmission, textual criticism. There's a lot of words that go into this. And there's professions, people that do this for a living. Erasmus set about to compile a Greek text using the best data he could access. Access, Unfortunately, he didn't have very much. But what he did have wasn't the best possible work, even for his time. This critical text would later become the received text, or what a lot of people say, the textus receptus. And from there, this, let me give you a time frame to help you understand what Erasmus did. And this was one of the first translations. Uh, this was in between 14 and 1600. 1516, let's go there. The 1633, the Textus Receptus. And in 18 and some change, the Westcott and Ort. And in between all those, was the 1611 King James. And afterwards, you have all the other translations. So from the beginning, Erasmus was one of the first to translate the Greek text. So to address the modern versions that leave out text, that's, that's not a true statement. Uh, <laughs> if anything, the King James inserts texts, verses, that were not in the original manuscripts or in the original writings. I know, that hurts somebody's feelings, but believe me, let me give you some more examples. First John 5, 7 and 8. For there are three that bear record in heaven. And this is one that's in the King James. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The <laughs> Sorry, uh, forgot what I was getting ready to say. Uh, the other more recent translations, the ASV, the NAB, NASB, NIV, and ESV, people claim omit that verse. Well, here's why. 
and it's not there omitting it. King James Version just included it, and I'm going to tell you why momentarily. But the reason it's not in the later translations is all the earliest Greek manuscripts omit it. So that's one thing you should be concerned about. Here's Scripture in your beloved 1611 King James. And again, I, I don't really don't care. I'm just trying to help you understand. None of the early Greek texts, manuscripts, have 1 John 5, 7, and 8. In fact, the majority of all Greek manuscripts omit it. The Greek fathers omitted it. Ancient versions omitted it, like Old Latin. Earliest text was come from the 4th century. Widely distributed in Latin by the 7th century. Omit it. Including it violates every test of textual authenticity. Right there should be a major red flag for you to understand why some of us don't understand why there's King James only people. So, how did First John 5, 7 get in the King James? Well, here you go. Erasmus omitted it in the first two editions because he had no Greek manuscripts that contained it. So, one of the first translators, Erasmus, omitted it in the first two editions because he had no Greek manuscripts that contained it. When challenged, he agreed to include it if one Greek manuscript could be found with it. One in 1520 was found, and he had, he had to put it in his 1522 edition. The KJV 1611 followed Erasmus's latter, later, however you say that, or you know how you say it, however I said it, 1522 edition, the Textus Receptus. So, I hope that made sense to you. I hope I'm not going too fast. Um, this is what apologetics does. We defend the truth, and we go back and we give you evidence and reason, uh, facts about the Bible. I mean, how do you know the Bible is reliable, much less the King James? And that's what this is, I'm trying to point out, is... They all say the same thing. The Bible is reliable, and just be happy about it, but read it for in the context that you need it or the best you're more comfortable with, whether it's the King James or the NASB or it's the message. So, moving on, there is no doctrinal difference in any of these translations. Leaving the verses in does not add anything new to doctrine. Taking away does not take away any doctrine from faith. However, we should not base any doctrine on a disputed text. Uh, the NIV, biased against the blood. Colossians 1.14, King James Version, in whom we have redemption through is blood in whom we have redemption through is blood. NIV, in whom we have redemption. There's no basis against blood because the NIV leaves blood out in verse 20. The earliest and best manuscript leave blood out of Colossians 1.14. The problem is textual. It's not doctrinal. 
So let me try to wrap all this up. Like I said, Tom, I felt like did a fantastic presentation, and I'm thankful that he gave me the opportunity to share it with you. Let's look back at what our goals were. Translation is a complex process. Translations involve choice. Every translation reflects the choices and interpretation of the translators. The original KJV had extremely limited manuscripts and was edited and updated until 1769. Therefore, the KJV 1769 does not reflect the wealth of additional data, discoveries, and information. By sticking with the KJV, you're missing out on more accurate translations. Not being mean, just, again, trying to help. It doesn't make it bad, but it makes it limited. It's just like every other translation. So, with that being said, I hope that this helped you. Uh, I'm thankful, like I said, that Tom gave me the opportunity you can see that it's another one of those things that I'm passionate about because I want people to understand truth. I don't care for about the third or fourth time if you use a King James. Just don't fool yourself that Paul used it or it's the original or it's the best or anything like that. The King James lacks some of the most recent manuscripts. So keep that in mind. It's the best I can say, I guess. Questions or comments, email me at johnmays at ratiochristi.org. Or if you'd like to join our financial support team, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can do that at johnmays.ratiochristi.org. And I'm sure that this probably thunderstruck some of you.